Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and you're about to listen to part two of a conversation Paul and I started last episode on the necessity of community in living out one's faith and what a redemptive community is. So if you haven't listened to part one, I suggest doing so. But regardless, I hope that you enjoy the episode. There's a certain human warmth to a faith that draws people close to each other. Mm. I think I think God understands that we live in a pretty cold world. Yeah. And his design was to create something very warm and close, intimate in all the right ways of people who really do know each other and appreciate each other and um, are fond of each other in, in the truest expression of I love you. Mm. I think, I think when a church enjoys that depth of sincerity to say to each other, I love you. And it's not just, you know, words. It's, there's meaning to that. And the person connects with it and receives it and gives it back. I, I don't think there's a stopping that church. No. No, I mean that's how like I feel with. I'm sure everybody does, but I feel with my closest friends. It's like yeah. I know that they genuinely want the best for me, and they want to push me towards, uh, I guess, better. And if if and when I mess up, they're there for me um, to help pick me up and or in, in the midst of a tragedy. Um, but I guess just still kind of going off that idea of of needing something from other people. It's you see that a lot now. Uh, we see the effects of, I guess, just across the country, but across the world post COVID, we see the effects of what happens when we are just all alone or isolated from each other. Um, you can see that, and they were already increasing because of people no longer getting together, whether that be because of uh, the internet or social media. But uh, depression is going through the roof, suicide through the roof, anxiety through the roof. Um, we're polarized. We get into these camps of ideas or whatever it may be, and so, like there, there is a an extreme negative effect or consequence of not being able to be together. Yes, um, I I don't have science to back this up, but so I'll say it this way: I think it's going to be a few years before we start seeing the net effect of what two years of isolation during COVID has meant to us as a society. Mm. And I think one of the most um, concerning parts of that is COVID went a long way to creating a certain suspicion between human beings. Yeah, Like if you touch me, I could get sick. Or if you don't, you know, protect your mouth and your nose, you could be endangering my life. And, and just, Operating in that sort of um, suspicion of each other went a long way to changing a certain trust, a certain warmth, and a certain safety, just being in the company of other people. Mm. And I think the net effect from a perspective of a society, it may take a few years for us to really see the impact of that. Yeah. 
and I'm curious. I can't. I don't know that I could foretell what those effects will be, but um, we'll either wake up to the fact that we're no longer the same because of this experience in a negative way, or that we're going to have to do a whole lot of education about what it means to be close and to trust other people again. Yeah. I saw somebody say, I forget where I saw it, but she said that the generation, I guess my generation and younger, will grow up to see the handling of COVID. So I guess just what was done uh, to try and stop it, good or bad, as one of the, I guess, worst moral uh, decisions that the previous generation had made uh, because of the effects. And so like, I think you're right. Like we can see some of them now and they're atrocious. Some of the, the downstream effects of this, but um, five, 10 years from now, I think it's going to be that much worse. Um, and things you just never think would even happen. Like kids are having a hard time. Like the speech impediments have increased a lot yeah. from masks. And again, this isn't to say bad or good, but things have consequences, whether intended to or not. Yeah, and so when I think of all that in terms of the church, yeah. Um, I, again, I may be old school, but I'm always going to be a big fan of the church gathering together in mm-hmm. a place. Mm-hmm. And again, I want to I want to be careful not to suggest the wrong thing about online participation because I know that in many different scenarios it is best for the people involved those are my people paul watch out yeah i gotta be careful I moderate again i'm i'm the old guy here <laughs> and you young whippersnappers you see it all differently but nobody talks to me anyway that's fine <laughs> i get on there nobody talks to me so there was you know there was this discussion during you know kind of the height of COVID that you know it may never the church may never go back to being together again and I was like, oh, please tell me that's not true. Because, again, I'm a design guy. And I, I do think that the essential underpinnings of the church that Jesus created was about a group of people sharing life together. And it's hard to do that, I think, over a distance of you know, digital technology. Yeah. No, I'd agree. There's, I'd just, agree. there's just so many nuances of and dynamics of how people relate and how people express and how people uh, understand and hear and and um, experience one another that is so life-giving uh, to the church much in the same way that a you know children in an orphanage without a lot of affection or care physically will not thrive mm-hmm. i th- i think spiritually our souls are designed to thrive in connection yeah and again, I'm not saying every throw the ba- baby out with the bathwater when it comes to online experiences because I know they have purpose and they have tremendous use and lots of people benefit from them. I'm just holding out that that can't be the only way that you encounter the church. Yeah. yeah. So even if you, if you never come through our doors for a Sunday morning service and you only watch us online, there still has to be some component. There has to be the three, the four, the five, or six people that you're getting together with coffee 
or you know having meals together with or going to do things with and talking and experiencing the company of each other in terms of you know spiritual um dynamics i i'm just gonna always hold out because i think that's part of the design no i agree i mean even being the person who his literal job is to grow the online audience sure. I, I always want to push not push but encourage um them to do so whether you're watching you on a tv or you're watching in, in a room um have other people there like invite them yeah. Invite them to your house, whether that be your family, friends, whoever it may be. It doesn't have to be an entire auditorium full for whatever reason, um, if, if that isn't for you. But be around people and do so in sure. in community. That's what we did during well during COVID. I'll out myself. We didn't follow the rules very well, but we just <laughs> we just watched in our living room. And I had a couple of friends that would come over and and my parents, and we were there. Right. Um, but but I agree, it definitely needs to be done. In community to some to some level, sure. But alrighty. So um, when we look at this community, um, well, I guess first, kind of going back to your to your comments on design, there's going to be some people that say, "Well, why?" <laughs> Other than, I guess, uh, taking God's word for it, which I think, of course, is is something that's good. But you're going to have some people that be like, "Well." What are the benefits of not just doing what I want when it comes to this design for anything? Yeah. Um, but in this way and with community, what, I guess, what, what are the benefits? And again, we can get into what a community offers us, but um, what, what are the, what's the benefit of, of following a design rather than what you see as best for your own life, what you see as most beneficial or whatever you just so desire whenever it comes to whatever that topic is? Um, and I've got a couple of ways that I might answer that. One, the design was created by the omnipotent sustainer of the universe. Mm. So there's no mistakes in his design. So for me to somehow think I'm exempt or I can end run the design and come up with something that's more to my liking, trying to outsmart God on the design isn't going to work. Yeah. In other words, it's going to end up in frustration. You, you may think that you have something better that will work for you better. But I will guarantee you it will ultimately end up frustrating or unfulfilling or not provide or produce all that God had intended simply because you're ignoring the design. That's like going back to uh, your penguin or, or brownie <laughs> reference. That's like going up yeah. to Betty Crocker and being like, have you tried a truck seat? <laughs> Right. <laughs> so I start there. It's it's just it's not gonna work because you're not honoring the design as mm -hmm. it was intended. The other thing is that if the designer creates certain elements of the experience for purpose, then he saw them as necessary. And so you know, for the introvert or for the shy person or the person who you know, they're just crotchety and they just blame everybody for everything and they don't want to be around everybody. I don't want to mess with people. They upset me or whatever. Um, again, it goes back to this idea. We, you can't just dismiss it. It's, it was created for a reason, this idea of other people being a part of your life. And I think that's where the redemption comes in, is that what God's doing through other people 
is he's helping us grow. Yeah. He's helping us change. He's helping us see blind spots. He's helping us to um, notice rough edges. He's helping us see motives that are improper or attitudes that don't really reflect the love and grace of Jesus. And so we see that in how I'm responding to other people, and other people have a part in helping me identify that and change it. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I just think that to try to think that I'm somehow exempt from the design immediately puts us in a place where the design isn't going to work. Yeah. And then here's, here's the biggest reason. I think that when you like boil the uh, impact of sin down to its basic, most essential element, the most essential element is selfishness. Yeah. That's sin will always take us towards selfish. And selfishness is, is expressed in a wide variety of ways throughout our life. And one of those expressions is, I don't want to do anything with other people. I don't want other people having a say in my life. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't want anybody confronting me. I don't want anyone holding me accountable. I just want to be selfish and live by, you know, my standard, my truth, my way, my will. <laughs> and God's saying, yeah, see, all of that's the problem that needs to be redeemed. Yeah. Because your will, your way, all of your ambitions and desires they are impacted by sin. And if you don't do community, if you don't do spiritual journey in good, healthy community, you'll just be a really selfish person. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't want us to be really selfish people. In fact, he wants us to be very selfless people. So I think the person trying to skirt around the dynamics of interpersonal involvement in community is just setting themselves up to be um, really frustrated and disappointed in the journey, you know, over the long haul, and just staying in some really, really selfish places that community doesn't have the opportunity to address. Yeah. Well, and it is like it is just a level of a level of pride of like, well, I don't need to change. I don't need to do this. And and being by yourself allows you to resist any change or resist any exactly. You're nobody calling you out. Nobody's holding you accountable. Yeah. Um, and you don't also. You don't have to worry about anybody else. Again, back to the selfishness. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's, well, that's really easy to fall into. Um, I mean, again, with COVID, it's, it's, it took us, it took a lot of people out of the habit of being in some type of community. And a lot of people haven't come back. Um, just as an example, it, it can, it's, it's easy to fall out of. And it's a, cause it's a place you have to choose to place yourself in. You know, in yes. there's a level of vulnerability that you have to allow. There's to, uh, vulnerability, um, trust, transparency. Those those are those are risky places to go. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. You have to choose to move toward them. But the wise person chooses to move toward them because of the benefit that's there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had a really interesting discussion. Um, with an individual um, months ago. It was sort of in the height of COVID and all of us being isolated and sequestered from each other. And he was challenging. I was, I was sort of whining about the fact that I, 
I, I was having a hard time with the church not being together, mm-hmm. primarily for me having to speak to an empty auditorium, which mm-hmm. was the worst experience ever. <laughs> um, and so I, we were talking about, you know, the, the post-COVID, would the church come back together? And, and his, his vantage point was, well, Paul, you should prepare yourself that it won't be the same. People won't come back. And um, I just, I don't know, it made me kind of sad to think and so he and I got to talking about it, and I said, well, I think I'm going to challenge people that when it's, when it's safe to come back and we're assembling together again, I'm going to challenge people, please come back. And he said, well, I, I, I'd advise against it. And I thought, well, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that position because I think some of that selfishness and some of that failure to trust and that that refusal of community and its accountability is could be at stake. And so what I said is, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge people to come back to assembling ourselves together, like Hebrews 10 um, exhorts us to. I said, but... I'm just going to be very deliberate. If staying at home is better for your health or the health of somebody in your home, I'm not interested in you putting anybody's life at risk. Mm-hmm. Here's where I was going to push. If you're staying at home and watching from a distance because, well, it's more convenient, it's more comfortable, and I don't have to do the people thing. Mm-hmm. I can just sort of do this here in the privacy of my living room or uh, my car or you know wherever I am right now. It's just easier because I don't have to. I don't have to make a fuss to get out the door, or I don't have to, you know, let other people be a part of the experience. I can just do this by myself. I go. That's not good. Yeah. That's not healthy. What What is that saying? Is that um, I'm not willing to make an effort to pursue a relationship with God in keeping with his design. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I wasn't interested in people coming back, certainly not out of guilt, certainly not out of shame, never want to do that. If people needed to stay home because of legitimate health concerns, I get that. But if someone's staying at home, and I, I still believe this, I still hold to this, if someone's staying at home simply because it's easier and it's more convenient, I'm challenging that. Yeah. I mean, what is that saying about the importance and the nature of God's design for our spiritual journey? I'm not asking you to come and just go through motions of singing songs and saying prayers. I'm coming. I'm asking you to come back and participate in the community of togetherness all of us gathering with one another to worship and to pray and to receive God's word. That's what I'm inviting you back to because to go a long, 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 long time without that, I think you're going to watch your soul shrivel. Yeah. Just because it's not in keeping with the design. Well, I would even say, like, in your defense, if you truly believed that as the pastor um, and you've discerned that by way of, carefully considering it and asking God then and then to not say it would almost be 
a breakdown of what that redemptive community should have been in the first place, you know? Sure. Because um, I do think it's, I mean, it is your responsibility if you if you believe certain thing um, to hold people accountable for it um, with the idea of being yeah. corrected if you're wrong because you can be wrong just like sure. anybody else. Sure, sure. But which kind of takes us into, I guess, how this community is somewhat set up, um, how it functions and flows you kind of in your whenever you went through this as a series you kind of laid out a few overarching ideas um or tenets and so i'll kind of go through i'll just say them and then you can tell me what you meant by it Mm -hmm. um so values of a different community uh, the top one that you put was supremacy of jesus yeah i'm i'm just saying that at the heart and the soul at the center of redemptive community, it's all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're, we're raising Jesus up. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the power, the hope, the presence, the person around which redemption all happens. Uh, redemption was secured in Jesus. Uh, it's delivered through Jesus. So a, a redemptive community will not um, truly achieve its full potential unless Jesus is at the center of it. Mm -hmm. So in, you know, our language, everything comes back to Jesus. Everything comes back to Jesus. So in our pursuit of being a redemptive community, we're always going to push people back to the life, the teaching, the examples, the gospel of Jesus. Gotcha. All right. And that makes sense. And then honestly, kind of like that answer kind of, uh, encapsulated a lot of these and so i'm going to go ahead and move down to reciprocity of love reciprocity uh, of love reciprocity of love a pretty big word for me that's a fun word to use <laughs> that's an sat word yes what do you mean by reciprocity of love well if it's a big word what it's does reciprocity word. mean <laughs> um in my mind it's all about the spirit of paying it forward as we are the recipients of god's outrageous grace and amazing love then we pay it forward by then extending that love and that grace to everyone that we encounter. Mm. So in a redemptive community, the truth of the matter is the, the community can't grow wearisome or tired of dealing with people in their mess because we keep paying forward the love and the grace that we received. And there's never been a time that Jesus has ever run out of love and grace for us in our mess. Mm -hmm. So as lives are impacted by the power of the gospel, it becomes the standard. I love like Jesus loved me. I forgive like Jesus forgives me. I extend grace like Jesus extends grace to me. I am merciful like Jesus has been merciful to me. So Basically, that provides this um, this safety and trusting environment for everybody to be on the journey and to be at different places on the journey and have different struggles along the journey because they know everybody else here is on the same journey and they've all been the recipients of God's amazing love, grace, and forgiveness. So I'm going to receive that here too because Jesus is at the center. Mm-hmm. And those go, that goes for people both inside the redemptive community and well and outside, which is I guess more the Great Commission. But within it, um, that's for when people have personal problems or issues with one another, 
um, I guess, kind of like where does that, are we all just loving one another because we're all pointed towards the same thing? Um, where does that kind of, I guess, fit in with interactions amidst that community? Um, if I understand your question, the the quest of the community as a whole is to trust and obey Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we're trusting him for who he is, what he's done on our behalf. Then in response, we're living in obedience to him. And he's provided instructions about how we obey him. Uh, it's part of design about yeah. how one follows Christ. And so his instructions are very clear. Love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And he goes so far as to say, love your enemy. Yeah. Love those who persecute you. Love those who um, despitefully use you. All these phrases. Um, bear with one another, we see in the New Testament. Bear with one another. In other words, there's just this general spirit of we put up with each other because we're all a mess. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the reciprocity of love is I've, ex- I've received it even though I've messed up a million times. Well, I give it away a million times if necessary. No matter what you do, um, I continue to love you. Now, does that mean that we get, we're allowed to be walked over and, and used by people? No. There's Again, there's rules. If somebody's hurt you or offended you, you go and you try to work that out so that they don't continue to take advantage of your love and your grace. Now we're seeking reconciliation so the love and the grace is respected and received properly. Yeah. But a redemptive community never runs out of love and grace because it's always been the recipient of love and grace an unending supply of love and grace okay okay well i think right i think love that love and grace is the answer to sin which like we kind of alluded to in the beginning that exists within the church that exists within yes redemptive communities because people exist within it um and there's going to be times where there's hurt or um somebody breaks trust whatever that may be there's going to be times with that and you also just said that there were I guess, guidelines as to how to kind of uh, deal with with that kind of thing. But I guess, what kind of things does sin have, how does sin affect a redemptive community, the church? um, How does it affect it and the people within it? Well, in in the big strokes, sin would love to destroy unity in the church. And it would love to destroy peace in the church. So sin, sin's greatest trick is to divide, is to separate. Um, and that, that takes all sorts of different expressions. If I can create suspicion about your intentions toward me, mm. I become untrusting of you. Um, if I can get you mad at me or me mad at you, and we're going to be passive-aggressive about it and just not talk, sin wins. If you and I are going to have a big blowout, blow up in the parking lot and yelling and scream and, and behave in a way that's not reflective of Christ, sin wins. So sin loves to destroy unity. If, if sin can get, like, camps going on in the church and mm. these people are for this and these people over here are for this and 
get them kind of caught up in kind of a political bureaucracy of, you know, who gets their own way, sin wins. Um, certainly when there's um, Im- immorality or there's um, illegal sorts of things that happen in a church, sin wins. So the church has a responsibility of consistently um, doing inventory and self-evaluation and honesty and authenticity to weed out the expressions of sin in its midst. We recognize that sin's here. Yeah. We recognize that we're all a mess and that we're all going to you know, create havoc or at some level we're going to create distrust or hurt on some level. Um, there's going to be moments of friction because that's what sin does. But a redemptive community has the power of the gospel working in and through them to where that sort of thing doesn't win. We have ways of confronting it, lovingly confronting it, addressing it, and seeking to move move through it. And that's where your passages like Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 and Galatians 6 and, and other passages become very instructive about what do we do now that sin has shown itself in this particular way. Yeah. And um, when the church is really diligent to lovingly and consistently um, address those sorts of things, then it keeps the damage at a minimum. Mm. I mean, I love, you know, Ephesians, what is that, chapter 5, chapter 4, Toward the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul is talking about, you know, um, making things right when you've had an argument, and he uses the phrase, and it, it, he's using the phrase in the context of this discussion of marriage. But I think marriage is just a, a microcosm of like the larger society. So mm-hmm. we learn from marriage what society should be like, and so he talks about don't give the devil an opportunity to get his foot in the door. Mm. That when you go to bed mad and you don't reconcile as spouses, Satan gets his foot in the door. That's an opportunity for him to drive a wedge of division and distrust and, you know, hate and anger between the two of you. Well, I think the same is true in the church. When the church allows, like, obvious behavior that's detrimental to the unity and the peace of the church then what happens is Satan's getting his foot in the door. Yeah. And if it's not addressed in a loving, caring, and consistent fashion, then pretty soon he's got his knee in the door, and then pretty soon it's his hip, and then pretty soon he's put his elbow, his shoulder in, and now he's doing much greater damage because the church either failed to or was afraid of addressing something. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. And where it gets really hard, and I, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this in some uh, national examples. This gets really hard the larger the church gets. Um, when you have a church of several hundred people, it's a little bit easier to be aware of all that's kind of going on. Yeah. And you have enough, you have enough leadership in the life of the church that's connected to to the church body to kind of be aware of what's going on. But when you get churches, thousands and tens of thousands of people, it's just harder Yeah, to have enough 
sensitive leadership who's aware of all that's going on, certainly they can depend on, for instance, maybe a small group or life group shepherds to kind of be the fingers on the pulse. But it's just harder for churches that are really, really large to stay on top of places where Satan's getting his foot in the door. Yeah. And so, you know, Sybil is at a size that it's still pretty manageable for us to be aware, and we still miss things. But um, when we think about our church growing and increasing, we, we're just going to have to we're going to have to prepare for how do we stay in touch with our folks to the degree that we can be really aware of problem areas. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Because I mean, you know, to like you were talking about earlier, like people because. A lot of people will see this, I think, whenever they, in the context of this discussion, is like, well, there's a responsibility within the church to identify those things. Well, people, I think, might hear that, well, there's a responsibility of the leadership to yeah. understand the problems. Right. I think there's also a responsibility on every single person who says they're a part of said church to um, do the same thing. Like, oh, if there's a problem with the leadership, yeah. or there's a problem with somebody else in the church, it isn't just, I guess go and complain and not address the issue. Um, but it's actually to, Hey, I'm going to bring that forth and I'm going to, I'm going to not think the worst of whomever did something to upset me. Maybe I'll just go talk to them and see like, Hey, this bothered me or Hey, what were you meaning? Oh, Oh, without a doubt. Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter five. It, that's not the work of the church leadership. If your brother or your sister offends you, that's that's just that's family dynamics. Yeah. The first step is to do what? Is to go to the person in private and then bring a few other brothers and sisters if you can't reconcile. Um Galatians chapter 6. If your brother or sister is caught in sin, like entangled in sin. That's that's a very familial language. That's not the leadership's brought in. Um if you look again at some of the um, instructions of like First uh, Thessalonians chapter two. It's not the it's not the leadership of the church taking corrective action. It's the church. Mm-hmm. The community is equipped to know. Here's what I do in situations like this. Um, it was interesting the Sunday that we did that I was talking to redemptive community. I think it would have been week three, if I remember the order of the messages. We talked about, you know, Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, and what do you do when somebody has hurt your feelings or offended you? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like so many Sundays, I ran out of time to, you know, (laughs) get through all of my material. So what happens in the rush is I don't always get the conclusion wrapped up the way that I had hoped. Mm -hmm. And on that particular Sunday, that's what happened. I... I didn't come back to the conclusion in the thorough way that I wanted to or intended to. And so what I was going to do in that conclusion was I was going to say, hey, Sybil Creek, as we endeavor to be a redemptive community, let's create some language that all of us would recognize and understand. Mm. And let's, let's adopt these terms. Hey, sounds like you need to do a Matthew 5. Or, hey, it sounds like this might be time for a Matthew 18. 
if we could, uh, you know, as a church family, develop the language that, oh, well, rather than me telling you about how somebody ticked me off, yeah, I have to do the Matthew 18 thing first. I, I need to go and talk to them privately. Yeah, And so if you could equip a church family to know what to do when somebody's filling their ear with some gossip or rumor about how somebody has hurt their feeling and equip the church family with the courage to say, hey, you know what, I can't have this conversation with you unless you've had a Matthew 18 with them already, and now you're asking me to go with you to help sort this out. But before you tell me any more that might bias me toward them, why don't you just stop? Have you done the Matthew 18? Have you met with them privately? And are now are you asking me to go? And I'll go with you as a brother and sister to try to sort this out. Mm-hmm. If if you could get it down, if you could get that kind of church involvement in protecting unity down to the level of the grassroots like that, again, no stopping a church because it's only when churches are afraid to have those honest kinds of, hey, I can't have this conversation with you because that person's not in the room with us. Yep. Um, we're either afraid to do that, then that's, again, that's Satan getting his foot in the door because of distrust or divisions that are being created. Yeah. Well, and we're going to get more into that next time. But, and that even goes, something that I think people often forget is that that goes for leadership too. If leadership has in some way offended, bothered, uh, or hurt you in any kind of way you can go to them just the same yep because everybody so people will come to me and i'm not going to say anything but like <laughs> they'll come to me and i'm like well have you talked to them yet i mean what you what you're saying is have you talked to paul yet have you talked to paul yet <laughs> it's like yeah this is you're the fifth person i've heard this from <laughs> no but it is it's like <laughs> that'll happen to me my friends will do that or something and i'm like did you think I was trying to be a monster? Like, if you had come to me right. and said, hey, this bothered me, I would have just said, well, it sucks to be you, I guess. <laughs> no. I but but it does go for leaders, too. And I think, it, I think too, it, we've talked about it before, but, like, there's just that level of, like, if you're on a stage at any point in time, everybody's like, oh. Yeah. They, and it's they, like, they put you in a different category, and that's yeah. so unfortunate. You know, th- this has been a thing for me for... 30 years, um, but something I've tried to instill here at Ciblo for the last 25 is, don't call me pastor, Paul. <laughs> I'm just Paul Wilson. I'm just another member of the body of Christ here at Ciblo Creek Community Church. Now, we all have gifts. My gifts aren't any better than yours, aren't any more important than yours. We all have gifts that we bring to the body. Um, some of my gifts and some of my life experiences might have better equipped me to do what I do in the midst of this congregation, but I'm not any more important than anybody else. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're equals as gifted um, members of the body who've been filled with the same Holy Spirit. We have exact same standing. And again, because of some of my, maybe my educational experiences, I have been given an opportunity to, you know, have a microphone on a Sunday morning and I certainly, you know, value that, but I don't see myself as any more important than anybody else in the mix. And that goes back to some of the other discussions we've had in redemptive communities about 
um, we are all one in Christ. Yeah. And so there's no divisions. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. We are all one in Christ, Galatians chapter 3. And um, I think... I think that if you continue that principle out, that comes down to there's no distinction between clergy and lady. Yeah. We're just people. We're just all folks on the same journey in the body of Christ at this unique expression called Cibolo Creek, and it takes all of us to make it to make it all work. True. And it and it hurt it only hurts people because it's you the leadership might need that accountability. And you aren't giving it to them because of some yeah. kind of false view. Yeah, um, exactly. But, but yeah, no, standing on a stage here, not a high bar. You guys have let me have be on there <laughs> the stage. So but you're doing a great Not job. a high bar. <laughs> but, well, all right. Well, next time we're going to get more into kind of like the uh, inter-conflict of, in, I guess, between people in the church and a redemptive community. But any closing thoughts before we go on? No, I, just my, man, my last thought would be the better we understand and the more we understand and appreciate design, the designs that God has established really as laws in his universe, the better. The, yeah. more, the more that we honor them, the rewards are rich. I mean, that's, that's really, in essence, what blessing is. As you honor the design, we we benefit from the favor of God in keeping the design. Yeah, and that looks like joy, and that looks like peace, and it looks like hope, and it looks like unity, and it looks like um, happiness. That that you know the true authentic expression and experience of happiness that God's just saying. You want a great life? You want to you want to know joy and peace and, and contentment and all those things? Just trust me. Yeah. Trust me that my design is good and right and best. And then live in keeping with the design and you'll know and experience things spiritually, physically, relationally, materially, uh, financially. You'll experience things that that you never imagined could be possible. Yeah. And if you don't trust them, you can run the experiment. Yep. Very easily, which is what makes the great story is whenever people do run the experiment and then they come back and they're like, this story of redemption, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you, Wyatt. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com.